Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 304 of the Fun with Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcast, or episode 38 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who's the future official iced tea for England advocate of Fun with Cars, Christopher Roche. Hey, Chris. Robin, how are you? I'm very well. Are you excited about your upcoming position? No, I'm, I'm actually going to go the other way. I'm going to introduce the concept of cider in the U.S. that, that should just always be hard. There should have to be no qualification of hard cider. It just is <laughs> always hard cider, unless it isn't. <laughs> there, is, there is a lovely mill not far from our homes uh, that offers cider that I suppose you would qualify as soft. That's very I, delicious. I, I mean, call it apple bring juice. vodka, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I'd call it apple juice and donuts is what I'd call that. We need to bring back hardcore I will be a cider. hard cider advocate if you are an iced tea advocate. We can uh, we can balance each other out that way. I'm happy to advocate for iced tea that's been heated. It is Wednesday afternoon, October 6th, and Chris and I are going to talk about the 2021 IndyCar champion, Alex Palau, which was decided at the Long Beach Grand Prix. But first, Chris, if there's any Formula One news you want to discuss, I would love to hear it. Um, we have a new race on the calendar. Yes, Qatar, Qatar. has yeah. been confirmed, and it's a ten-year deal, so we will be going. Ten to the years, East. ten oh, years. Man. Yeah, it's a long Jeez. race. I'm not sure I can podcast on that one. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll be heading to the Middle East quite a lot in the uh, in the next decade, it seems. Well, we have Bahrain, we have Abu Dhabi. We have Saudi Arabia, we have Qatar, you could argue we have Turkey, although I don't know if that's on the Europe side or the Middle East slash Asian side. Um, yeah, what what am I missing? I think you covered them. Yeah, yeah, but that's a healthy number, because uh, I, just, I just ran it off five, I believe, so yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, considering we had the zero not that long ago. Now it seems that uh, almost a quarter of the championships there. Well, you know, there's there's money in the Middle East, and there's relatively reliable climate, and there's space for tracks. So, I mean, I, those things logic means that that would be a perfectly reasonable place to hold a Grand Prix, I suppose. Yeah, let's go with that. And go with that, we shall. Um, I have Formula One news. I'm excited. I'm going to read the. I'm going to read the headline to you. Perez eyeing big points and end and to end podium drought for Red Bull in Turkey. So keep your <laughs> What's eye up. What's he been eyeing up to now then? Perez eyes up ninth place and lamentable weekend. Is that what he's been going for so far? And well, that was to... news from the past. See, but this is not. <laughs> That's, you know, it's that's one of those headlines. Well, everyone wants to be on the podium. That's the point. People are aiming for that. But, hey, you know, I, I, I think it's fair to say that Perez is thinking the same thing the rest of us are. He should be on the podium. And the fact that he's not is a drought. You know, there would be uh, – there that would be sillier news if it said uh, – you know, Nikita Mazepin eyeing to end podium drought in Turkey. 
like, yeah, okay, good luck. But uh, with Perez, it's it's entirely logical that he would want to, yeah? I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, he's in the wrong business. I mean, I think a bigger future headline could be Perez and Albon swap seats if he doesn't pull his finger out is a headline that could be entirely predictable. Oh, dear. Well, listen, that, that in a lot of ways, that second Red Bull seat is the least desirable seat in not just Formula One, in major world racing. I'm, you know, worldwide racing, that, that, that seat is toxic. So, I don't know. I, have a, I really struggle with the second Red Bull seat. So, that's an interesting point. So, let's talk about uh, poison chalices in terms of second seats over the years. I think the absolute worst must have been the the number two seat at Ferrari during the early 2000s, where I think it was pretty much in your contract you couldn't beat Michael Schumacher. So that that's a so you get a, a race winning championship winning car, but you're not allowed to use it to its full uh, capability. That's a frustrating one. Now, well, I believe red- it was you couldn't do it until the championship was decided. So. The earlier the championship was decided, the better, because then you could start winning races. It didn't happen often, though, did it? So well. I think that it killed the competitive spirit of whoever was the incumbent. Uh, in the Red Bull case, it, you know, there is no such limitation. As far as I understand it, the Perez can go ahead and, and win races. It's just he, he isn't able to extract the same level of performance from the car that, that uh, Max Verstappen is. So, yeah, I don't know. But I mean, you did, made a point yourself earlier that I thought was really apropos. Is the, is, is the car set up to be in a way that only someone at Max Verstappen's level can really extract the maximum out of it? And is that ultimately good or bad for the team? Um, well, isn't it your responsibility to find your own path? I mean, within the confines of the, the basic chassis design, but in terms of setup, um, and you know, refining it to your style of driving. Surely, Perez is able to work with his race engineer, so he can get the maximum out of it. I think the the, the quandary for me is, you know, we've we've seen that typically the other driver is what between four and six tenths of a second slower than Max, but oftentimes, you know, we've seen that that it's more than that or. They're unable to, 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 to do the lap when they need to. So it's more than just... Uh, th- th- definitely that is a factor. The way the car is and the way Max drives is uh, achieves a certain level of performance. But my issue is that given that you're in one of the best cars this year, you should be no lower than the second row of the grid most of the time. And yet if we look at Perez's performance this year, just as Albon and Gasly before him, he's not able to do that consistently. That's the that's the real mystery to me. So it's not just that the characteristics may not suit him; it's that the, he loses his consistency, which is which is more of a head scratcher, isn't it? Yeah, but I think you've you've just made the fantastic counter argument to that: is is it is it the second driver, or is it something the way the team has set up that makes it the second driver in a uh, in a tougher position because uh, Pierre Gasly has proven to be a very strong driver in the Alpha Tauri. Uh, Alex Albon, he's made his way back into the sport for 2022. A lot of people respected his talents. 
And uh, Perez was a race winner uh, prior to entering the Red Bull team. And it, so there's there's a consistency here where it seems like the performance of the second driver tends to fall off. I mean, the last time it was really competitive, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was when Daniel Ricciardo was the other guy. And that was before Max Verstappen had truly established like, you know, de facto number one status at that team. Yeah, it was, um, you know, obviously Max was maturing during his his time with Ricardo, but for sure towards the end of their period together, Max was, was starting to get the upper hand, wasn't he? And, uh, but yeah, over the course of their careers together, um, it was very even. I uh, maybe the solution is to bring Jos Verstappen out of retirement and have a twin <laughs> Verstappen lineup. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and I would love to hear they would they should set up a radio between the two drivers, and then I would just love the but Dan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're thinking of the key to But anyway, we are on the wrong side of the pond, as it were because uh, we have a new IndyCar champion. His name is Alex Palau. He is a second-year driver for Chip Ganassi Racing, and he is 2021 IndyCar champion at the tender age of, gosh, I think 21, 22. See, now I should check before I say such things. But he, he, and he did so with just mature, consistent performances throughout the year and without letting bad luck get to him personally and i i think he was a well-earned champion this year yeah undoubtedly uh, there were a lot of people scratching their heads when he was uh nominated um for the ganassi seat for this year because he hadn't really looked like a complete standout in 2020 he finished 16th in the championship with his uh with dale coin racing and it wasn't obvious to many people that he was uh, a champion in, in waiting but he has taken the opportunity with both hands and he's broken the Dixon Newgarden axis, which have won the last four championships between them. So, um, and he did it with consistency, didn't he? He won uh, three races um, and uh, scored a healthy amount of points uh, over Newgarden. It was uh, 38 points in the end. So, um, yeah, fine, fine effort. Yeah, and thank you. That was a slip of the tongue there. It was second year, second year in IndyCar racing, first year with Chip Ganassi. So... He's done a very good job for himself. And he was born April 1st of 1997, so he is 24. So squeaked it in before retirement, you could say. Yep, first Spanish champion in IndyCar. So uh, he's, a, he's a trailblazer, got there before Alonso. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's he right. is the youngest driver since Dixon, won it back in 03. And he is the first second season winner since Sebastian Bourdais, who did it in 04. So, uh, ah, nice stats, nice stats. Yeah. yeah. And well, while we're on the stats, then this is now, this is something that I'm a bit confused about. Maybe you can help me. This apparently is the 14th IndyCar title for Chip Ganassi racing, but I wanted to get, uh, I wanted to clarify that. So I started looking at the statistics for IndyCar oh, and then you get mired back into the IRL days and the cart days and it all gets very, very messy. So anyway, I'm going to go with that. That that that's actually off the IndyCar website. That it's their 14th title. But uh, to well, me, now that they're once again aligned, I think they can 
they can combine them as they wish. Yes. So I'm going to change. I'm going to change the stat to be the last team that won the IndyCar title, other than Penske and Ganassi, was Andretti in 2012. Since then, it's now five four in Ganassi's favor. Oh wow! Look at that. Yeah, that was Ryan Hunter Ray in 2012 for that's right, um, uh, Michael Andretti. So uh, Andretti Autosport, and yeah, it you know it's been pretty ironclad grip on the championship between those two big teams. But we do, in addition to having some up-and-coming drivers, we do have some up-and-coming teams with real promise, and that includes Michael Shank Racing. That includes uh, McLaren Aero SP. And uh, there's other guys that have been within a shout. And obviously, Andretti Autosport is, uh, is, could jump back at any time. I mean, they have... They have the resources. They're just, uh, I don't know if it's just luck or if there's something internal that's making it harder. Um, but, you know, Andretti Autosport 422 is going to have uh, Roman Grosjean. They're going to retain um, uh, Alexander Rossi and, of course, Colton Herta. So that's going to be a team to look at uh, very closely to see if some team can unseat either Penske or Chip Ganassi. Yeah, absolutely. So if we if we dive into the race, so qualifying was quite interesting. We had uh, Palou's two championship rivals ahead of him. So Award was eighth on the grid and Newgarden was on pole uh, with Palou himself only qualifying 10th. Um, so right from the beginning, he, he seemed to be on the back foot and slightly under pressure, didn't he? But uh, But he drove a very, very measured race and was able to finish fourth and I think that the critical factor was that he, he kept out of trouble so poor old Pato got hit on lap one by Ed Jones at the hairpin which cost him some places and then ultimately cost him a retirement so he only was able to last until the 18th lap when he when uh, Pato retired with a broken drive shaft which was uh, suspected to be from Ed Jones's uh, collision so so that was very unfortunate for him it, it was, and uh, it completely. If you if you look at the move coming out of the airpin, as you said, it was one hundred percent and fairly obviously Ed Jones' fault there. Pato did nothing wrong there, and Pato also did not do anything to put himself in a questionable circumstance in the first place. So he was just. It was opening lap. Uh, Ed Jones had uh, the red mist flowing heavily, and. Uh, just uh, made a made a mistake. It's as simple as that, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, just to carry back on what you said, uh, Palau seemed to keep a a good level head, and his championship rivals kind of fell off around him, and he was able to maintain um, even keel. So uh, you had the incident with Pato, uh, the opening lap, which set him back, and then he eventually had to retire. And you also had Joseph Newgarden, who started in the lead, but then lost the lead to Colton Herta. And Joseph Newgarden winning the race was critical to have any shot at the championship. And Pelot just kind of hung out, stayed stayed course, and ended up comfortably, at the, in, in IndyCar terms at least, comfortably taking the championship lead with a fourth place finish. Right, but he, you know, he made six places on his grid spot. Didn't get into anyone else's accident and uh, 
brought it home in the points. Now, I mean, no one was going to beat Herter, were they? I mean, he was he started in 14th because he uh, hit the wall in quali, but he was on a different level to everyone else that weekend. I mean, his pace. That was, kid is was, possessed, man. Yeah. It's, I mean, well, when in, he's in the state on of California. It, he is. <laughs> <laughs> if the whole championship was in it, California, give it to him right now. He is unstoppable. He is unstoppable when he's on it. Yeah. Is it just California? No, come on. There was another state. There was another state. I'm sure of it. Okay, California and Florida. He won, he won the one in St. Pete, didn't he? Yeah, but it was, well, it, the one, the other one that I'm thinking of was Nashville, where he ended up crashing, and that one went to Marcus Erickson. Very lucky for Erickson, I would say. And, uh, but he was clearly, by a healthy margin, the fastest man on track. And if you remember uh, a few podcasts ago when I interviewed Scott Dixon, Scott Dixon completely, I mean, he was like, yeah, that, I mean, it was insane, his speed. So when Colton's switched on, he is insanely quick. But I think he's just, he's so young. I mean, he's, I think, just turned 21. He, once, he's he's kind of in that, like, once he gets mature and he can, and he can be more consistent with what he does, I think he's going to be, really strong championship contender. I mean, what was crazy about his pace was even though he was halfway down the, the field at the start, he was effectively leading by lap 33. So it didn't even take him half the race to make, you know, on-track passes um, in a car that's, you know, essentially the same as everybody else's. That, that's impressive. So he was absolutely flying. So, yeah, poor old Newgarden um, in any other circumstance probably would have won the race, but uh, Herter was just too good. So that certainly helped Polo, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to be fair, though, Colton was helped by the yellows that were brought out uh, by that um, Ed Jones and uh, Pato Award incident, and not because of those two, but because uh, Sebastian Bourdais was stalled on the track, exiting that hairpin as well. So they had to bring out the yellow to capture him. Um, And uh, there were uh, some other yellows later on that helped the field stay bunch up, and Colton could uh, take advantage Another person that I want to talk about who early in the race, he had qualified third. Um, and we should say real quick, uh, Joseph Newgarden was on pole. Scott Dixon second. Elio Castroneves third. Elio Castroneves in the top three in the Michael Shank racing car. A great, great spot for him. But Michael Shank made some uh, – Michael Shank racing uh, made some interesting calls with yellow flags. And they were one of the few teams that did not come into pit – for the yellow, and that ultimately seemed to cost them. And so after the first uh, level of pit stops fully cycled through, Castroneves was way down the field and was never really able to recover, and he ended up finishing 20th as a result. So, um, But Castroneves, uh, you know, being the elder statesman of the IndyCar field and being um, a full-time driver next year, I was sad to see that because... Uh, he he showed that he's clearly still has plenty of speed, and uh, would have been competitive had he uh, had he uh, had better luck with race strategy. Yeah, because his teammate uh, Jack Harvey finished seventh. So clearly, both cars were were working well around the streets of Long Beach. So uh, Harvey was uh, outside the top ten in qualifying, but made it into the top ten for the race. So impressive uh, effort from him. Yeah, and it's a shame we we don't know where Jack Harvey's going to be next year, but we do know who's going to be in Jack Harvey's seat next year. As I mentioned last weekend, that's going to be Simon Paginode. So uh, I'm I'm 
keeping an eye out to see if we find out where Jack Harvey is going to go. Yeah, so 11 of the 28 drivers are not yet confirmed. Um, so there's, uh, you know, there's potentially Sato leaving uh, Ray Hall. Maybe Jack Harvey's taking his seat. That's, that's one of the rumours circulating. And then it uh, looks like Hinchcliffe is leaving uh, Andretti Steinbrenner. So there's, um, there's, there's, there's a lot of reshuffling yet to occur. Hinchcliffe is almost, I, you know, he just hasn't had the breakthrough season he needed. You know, Hinchcliffe was out of a drive seat. Um, I don't remember. He was out of the drive seat for last year, I believe, and was able to get back in the seat this year. He was actually doing some television presenting work with NBC Sports, Hinchcliffe was, and this was his chance to get back in, and it just, it wasn't, he, he didn't have enough breakthrough performances that he needed. So, yeah, I, I think it's very likely that Hinchcliffe is uh, going to be out of the seat. Well, his cause wasn't helped by the fact that a certain gentleman by the name of R. Warner had started a petition to get all Canadians out of IndyCar. And so... Uh, not all I- Canadians. Not all Canadians. <laughs> no. Okay, just him. Just him. Just less <laughs> Canadian drivers. Yes, fewer Canadians. That's all. No, I, 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 I think Canada is great. I think Canada is great. Um, you know, you just hate I, like, drivers. <laughs> I like French Canadians. Uh, Petri Carpentier was one of my favorite drivers back in the day, and mm-hmm. I like other Canadians. Um, what Robert Wickens was incredibly quick before he had his uh, really bad accident at um, oh, it's the special oval in Pittsburgh, uh, not Pittsburgh, uh, outside of um, it's on the east coast of Pennsylvania, and I can't Pocono. Um, he had a really unfortunate bad accident which uh, injured his spine. Uh, but Robert Wickens, Canadian, super quick, super great. It's just I just don't I just don't lo- universally like Canadians just for being Canadians. I like the fast Canadians. What's wrong with that? Well, Do you like we, every British already, driver that ever was? We've already established that you don't like Jacques Villeneuve. You don't like his dad Gilles Villeneuve, and there's a couple of other Canadians. Inaccurate. That inaccurate. I think Jacques Villeneuve is great. I think that Gilles Villeneuve made an incredible impact on the sport and was properly <laughs> quick. Hang on. I wait. just don't whoa, have shrines. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, I don't let's have rewind shrines. the tape. You, since when have you thought Jack Villeneuve was great? You've always detested the bloke. No, 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 no. He's, he's wonderful. I've never said anything but positive <laughs> things about Jack Villeneuve. What are you talking about? I love his music. I have his entire... <laughs> I have an entire music series in, on playing on repeat on my phone. Um, what Look, else? This is this is he's the '97 Formula One World Champion. He he's he's won both. He's done. Did he was he IndyCar champion? He was certainly Indy Five Hundred. Yeah, '95. Yeah, '95 champion. Yeah. I mean, that guy must be absolutely oozing in talent. Surely to to win both sides of the pond. I mean, got to be up there. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Alex Palau. From Spain, uh, yes. <laughs> he um, Jack Villeneuve is great. I'm sure he's immensely fast. I just I I'll tell you like okay, let's get into this real quick. Jack Villeneuve, my issue with him was mm-hmm. how quickly and completely he always tried to downgrade his teammates in Formula One and just try to blow them off as getting in his way or whatever. And one of the teammates he did that to pretty heavily was Jensen Button, a young Jensen Button. And I believe that was Renault 2002, 2002, 2003, somewhere in there. 
And it was extremely frustrating. It's like, well, what? he's beating you on track consistently. Where do you get off saying these things over and over? That's what kind of made me sour on Jacques Villeneuve a bit. I see. And then so after, wrong, after then. he was really done, like him. You, you and then him after he was done driver. racing, he had outlandish opinions about different drivers. He just loved. <laughs> he was like a shock jock. He just loved like just getting headlines. Tell me I'm wrong. You are you are, are is this what you are you trying to advocate for Jack Villeneuve to get back in the sport? Should should Jack Villeneuve get that uh, Alfa Romeo seat, that vacant uh, Alfa Romeo seat? I would describe him with a British term called uh, Marmite. So he is a Marmite character. So you either love him or you loathe him. And I think uh, certainly there's some controversies around him, uh, particularly you know defecting to BAR and essentially just taking a massive paycheck and crawling around at the back for a few years. I don't think anyone thought that was the becoming of a, of a former world champion, although other drivers have done the same thing, in fairness. But uh, I, I think, ultimately, if you can, you know, he came very close to winning the championship in his first year in 96, alongside Damon Hill and the Williams. Of course, he, he jumped into a competitive car in his first season, um, but he pushed Hill uh, pretty closely, particularly through uh, sort of the mid, middle and second half of the season. So you have to, you have to give him credit for being a top draw driver um but yeah you know the the the, the dying of the hair the baggy race suit the the music the incredibly career. The, baggy race suits yeah there's a few things that not everyone loved but um it just appears that you you um <laughs> you you've taken that to another level let me put it that way i love canada and i think so many of the canadian drivers are fantastic Good. Let's move <laughs> so, on. Alex Palau, he, you know, he he ha- he's had an interesting racing career as well. You can tell by his stats that he was originally thinking of Formula One. Clearly, uh, you know, he was in Formula Three in 2015. He uh, competed in the All Japan Formula Three Championship 2017. He won the Super Formula Championship. Uh, he won a Super Formula Championship race in 2019. And, but ended up going the IndyCar route. Now that he's IndyCar champion, what do you think? Do you think he's going to stay here? Or do you think there's any chance of him still getting a Formula One? Well, what do we know about his father? Is he a, is he a billionaire? No. No, Ramon. Okay, so uh, his name gonna... is Ramon. I know that much. And he is not a billionaire. <laughs> okay, so he's staying in IndyCar then, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Formula One, home to the 20 richest children of <laughs> yeah of, of the world yeah no it's um it's I mean, a shame that that can be a joke isn't it it is i mean sadly indycar used to be a pathway into formula one but that seems to have been dug up and no longer exists it doesn't appear that it's a viable route into formula one anymore i think um, yeah much more accurately uh formula one is a pathway to indycar <laughs> really, I mean, <laughs> look. If you look at, uh, and I don't just mean retired folks. I mean, you know, look at uh, Mark's Eric, Marcus Erickson's been able to make hay of it. Uh, Alexander Rossi, you know, he had five starts in Formula One and then was able to have a, a fantastic career here in IndyCar. Uh, you know, and then you do have the retirees of uh, Romain Grosjean and also Sebastian Bourdais, Sebastian Bourdais, although Bourdais kind of um, 
He's bookended his career with IndyCar with a bit of Formula One in the middle. Um, well, so did Zanardi. I mean, there's a few that have done that, right? So yeah, did uh, yeah. Montoya. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, it's the, it's the best single-seater series in the world after F1, isn't it? And uh, it has the advantage that everyone gets to drive the same fundamental Dallara chassis, and both engines are fairly competitive with each other. Um, and so even if you're not in one of the big teams, you have a shot at being competitive, not maybe on every weekend, but on certain weekends. And so I think that's a huge draw to, to drivers that still want to race at, you know, in, in, in good series. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Palau, if he stays, I, I hope he continues to do well. Obviously, he's with a good team. And in addition to that, he's got a great teammate in Scott Dixon, uh, who is, they're different enough in age that I think Scott, even if he starts to get a little bit stressed about not winning championships himself instead, will kind of be big brother to uh, Palau uh, to help him along, which is critical because to a certain extent, Dario Franchitti did that for Scott Dixon. So uh, I think there's a bit of that continuation with the team and speaking of Dario Franchitti is still associated with Chip Ganassi racing uh, as a consultant or something like that so uh, maybe Plow also gets advice from Dario Franchitti did you see where Dixon finished he finished third in the race uh, directly ahead of Palau so if it had been tighter in the championship I'm sure he would have given way and allowed his teammate to uh, take the position yeah, absolutely. And also, uh, Jimmy Johnson congratulated Alex Plow. It was very close between those two. Uh, <laughs> but um, now, and uh, let me point out that Jimmy Johnson is not Canadian, Chris. And, uh, Are you but sure? anyway, yeah, it's going to be, I'm, I'm very fascinated to see how everything happens with Jimmy Johnson because he did start showing a bit of evidence of potential of being competitive. But he's also not the youngest driver out there if you're on that slow of a learning curve. And he's on that slow of a learning curve with, you know, Scott Pruitt as a private coach. And Scott Pruitt has just raced everything successfully other than Formula One, basically. And so my point is Jimmy Johnson has been given all the tools. It was going to be interesting to see how much patience everyone has for that little project because it sounds like he will be in uh, IndyCar next year and potentially full season. Well, he came third in the rookie contest. So I think you're being a little harsh behind Scott McCoughlin, who, who took the title and yes. And Roman Grosjean. Grosjean. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, he almost got one, well, just over one third of the points that Scott got. That's a pretty <laughs> Pretty good effort. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> but that's no, only I mean, failing. That's only a failing grade by a lot. That's all that is. <laughs> I mean, look, he qualified twenty seventh in this particular race. But I, I have read that some people think he's making progress. I, it's hard to spot, honestly, unless you're watching maybe Jimmy's onboard footage for every you lap. Give, you give me a full season in IndyCar, and I will make progress. I promise you that. I will. I will absolutely make progress. I will be faster in that car relative at the end of the year than I was at the beginning of the year. I promise you that. I I would expect so, Robin. Yeah. Would and would you not think that of yourself as well, Chris? 
Absolutely. Maybe we should go up against Jimmy and see who makes the most progress over the course of here in a Ganassi racing an IndyCar. You know, I, I, I have an in with Ganassi. I know those guys. I should ask. I should ask. Why am I being so bashful? I should just stick it out there. Well, you can't have that seat and the Alfa Romeo seat. You got to pick your pick. pick and, oh, I uh, thought I'd do. It. I thought I'd do the Andretti thing and just fly out on the race weekends and. You know, and then yeah. when when they overlap each other, I'll have to choose, I suppose. It didn't work uh, well for Michael. I wouldn't. I, they, I I disagree. Michael was uh, just uh, just brilliant. In well, um, which series? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, obviously that was not uh, the the brightest uh, light for Michael Andretti. But I think that Jimmy Johnson he's won seven NASCAR Cup championships. He and he. He's still plenty marketable. He's making plenty of money. I just, I respect his interest in racing and his interest in trying a new challenge. But boy, I, it does seem like we're really, we're really stretching here. Doesn't it? I mean, I don't have a problem with it. If if he wants to go racing and Ganassi has a spare seat, I think it adds an entertainment value to the series. Um, If he was taking someone else's seat, like a Palau or... A Dixon, I'd have more of an issue with it. But there's three Ganassi cars, so um, I'm okay with it. And it'd be, it's, it's one of those interesting talking points. We've talked about him a lot this year. So imagine this, how much... This is true. You, that is very yeah. true. So now let's see if he can make some more headway next year. Maybe uh, maybe he can start getting into the top 10 on a regular basis next year. That would be uh, that would be a good target, wouldn't it? Yeah, so, um, oh, it would be lovely. I, 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 and I, I'm, I am extremely curious to see how he performs on an oval relative to uh, the road courses because then it can be a, how much of it is the kind of track and how much of it is the kind of car. And is he is there something that's just a little bit more natural for him? There's like so much muscle memory of the specific ways to really eke performance out of an oval track that he can start to shine. Um, it'll be interesting to see. So I've got some some stat questions for you. Let's see how much attention you were really paying during the uh, 2021 IndyCar season. So who won the team pit stop challenge? It it almost has to be Penske. It absolutely was. Well done. You nailed it. Who came second? Uh, Probably Ganassi. Uh, no, it was Penske again. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Okay, okay. If we're splitting it up that way, yeah. Yeah, so and, and Ray Hull got third. So that they actually measure the total accumulated time in the pit lane all season. And they award prizes based on, the, the, obviously, the shortest amount of time you spent in pit lane. And Penske game uh, one and two. How about which was the winning power unit uh, manufacturer? Well, geez. Uh, Chris, it, it was Honda. Of course. How many wins? Do you know? Oh, boo. Uh, the number, that I don't know. Yeah, it was 10-6 in favor of Honda. Um, yeah. Chevy got more pole positions, but uh, Honda got more wins. And Honda did win the Indianapolis 500 this year, and uh, that was a big, big deal, of course. And back-to-back titles for Honda as well, so they're having a nice, uh, nice run of it in IndyCar. That's it. That's the stat quiz over. Okay. Well, Short right. sweet. I, I, I hope I passed. So, oh, no. One more, one more. How many yes. first-time winners were there this year? 
Ooh, well, there were... Or can you name them for a bonus point? There were, uh, like, the first seven or eight races was... Uh, it was a different winner. And how many of them were first-time winners? I know Marcus Erickson was one. Alex Palau was one. Uh, Pato Award was one. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, kidding. Um, let's see, who else? Oof, now I'm... So I know it was those three... For sure. Yep, very good. Absolutely um, spot on. There's one other guy. Oh, there were four. Um, oh, man. He's got I, a great I name. Said, I almost said Scott McLaughlin, but he finished second behind Dixon. That was his big result. And it wasn't Grosjean. He was on the podium, but he never won. Oof. He is of the same nationality as Max Verstappen. Oh, uh, Renus VK, of course. Very good. Yeah, yeah, You've yeah. You've been paying attention, Robin. Well done, mate. Yeah, yeah. Renus VK, whose name is not actually VK, it's Vander Kuchenglocken or something. Like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I and I and I and I say that not to be not to be trite to the Dutch, just just to make light of the fact that it's it's certainly not VK. Well, that's why I think he, because of our lack of ability to pronounce his name, he's inquisitive of VK. That's exactly right. <laughs> Sensibly so. Um, yeah, so four first-time winners. So the sport is in a healthy place. I mean, as, as much as we lament Jimmy Johnson lagging at the back, there's plenty of good uh, young guys uh, coming into the sport and being competitive. And we have a wonderful field. Yeah, exactly. no, absolutely right. I shouldn't have cut you off. I apologize. And we, and we have a wonderful field to look at as well. You know, you know healthy, the, slow, the smallest lineup i think was 24 cars and more often than not we were above 25 sometimes 28 cars taking the green flag very impressive yeah and i mean it looks uh, like next season could be another barnstormer i mean especially if herta can carry this form into next into next year i mean he ended up finishing fifth in the championship standings this year um behind dixon award newgarden and palu so uh, definitely, he he would be top of my list for a potential contender for next year. Um, and then, uh, obviously, we have the other four that all competed for this year. But then you've got people like, you know, can can Rossi get in the mix next year? Can right. Grosjean get in the mix next year? I mean, it could be it could be a really cracking championship uh, battle in twenty two. I think. And now that uh, now that Palau has the confidence of a championship under his belt, and he's already shown immense maturity for his age i feel uh both dixon and palau will be competitive certainly and you know let's let's uh let's uh raise a glass for the uh elder statesman of the track i want to see castro neves make a real run for it in, in all seriousness championship run might be tough but i'd love to see him get another race win or two obviously the 500 would be wonderful but if he could get a road course race win next year I'd be over the moon for him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it'd be fun to see how he goes all year. Yeah, absolutely. What is he, 40, 46? You did yeah, tell me. That's it. right. Yeah. May of 75. So Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, to be, absolutely. Uh, to be competitive at that age. So it can still be done, everybody. So um, <laughs> so uh, the next the next week is in ju- the next race is just in a few days time and that is the Turkish Grand Prix. I'm excited to uh, see that four apex turn eight. Is it? I hope I'm remembering correctly. I think you're right. Uh, yeah. Or is actually or is it four five six seven or something like that? Anyway, uh, excited to see that uh, again. I always like the Turkish track. 
and it'll be great to see that go and see uh, Perez get on that podium um, as it is news. And um, I'm also excited to tell you about my latest YouTube video. And sir, this is a, this was a cool one. It's another Volkswagen product, but it is an Audi RS7. And I can tell you, those things are not slow. Excellent. I was hoping you were going to say it was the McLaren, but um, because I know what? more about the McLaren. What? <laughs> Who would ever give me a McLaren? That's silly, Chris. Uh, you're just RS... uh, you're just just a pipe dream for you. I cannot picture the RS7. What is it? The RS7 is the uh, A7, which is the swoopy, sportbacky looking version of the A6, um, with the RS 591 SAE horsepower twin turbocharged four liter v8 it is 600 metric horsepower it is uh, quite quite good and it's got an eight-speed automatic transmission but despite having an eight-speed automatic transmission they have some special uh software where they can i think it's uh like delay the um the lockup of the torque converter or something like that and you get you get a launch control of sorts from the car and it's just it's an absolute hoot it sounds fantastic, the V8, and it's a, it's a riot to drive. Is it all-wheel drive or rear? It is, yes. It is. Nice. It is Quattro, sir. Yeah. Excellent. And, yeah. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a big luxury yacht of a thing, but it's, it, you know, its handling is completely predictable and enjoyable, even if the grip isn't stratospheric or anything like that, because it's, it, is a, it is a big, heavy car at the end of the day. So you can only do so much to fight physics. Mount more of a Grand Tourer, would you say, or is that being harsh? Uh, yeah, it's a, you know, it depends on your perspective, I think. You know, it is, you know, the car I had had ceramic, big, big ceramic brakes. It is track capable by many standards, uh, big brakes and all these things. And in fact, in the instrument cluster, it's got a, a lap timer built in and some different performance stats. So uh, Audi thinks it's track capable, certainly. I think the timer is for... The uh, measuring how long it takes you to drink your latest latte. <laughs> then why is it a lap timer? You're supposed to have a latte a lap. Is that is <laughs> yeah, that? They a, couldn't fit latte, so they just put lap randomly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let me guess. Let me guess because I like this part of the uh, the podcast. Is it, it is more than twenty five thousand. <laughs> is it higher or lower than the the Cadillac you had? I'm gonna guess higher. You are correct. It is a healthy amount higher. In fact, 130k base price for the RS7 is 115,045 dollars. My car, as tested, since I had the ceramic brakes and a bunch of other nice things, 136,945 dollars. So the fun game to play is: what two cars could you buy for the same amount of money that would give you? You know, the exciting, sporty dynamic we're all looking for and then the trundling the kids to school alternative. So there's, there's, that's a lot of money to play with. You could have two I can answer that question very easily and promote two more YouTube videos at the same time. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much. <laughs> I, I would get a, I would get a uh, Boxster. I would get a 718 Boxster T. And then a Nissan Pathfinder. I could get, I should say. I wouldn't necessarily get those two, but I could get uh, those two for basically the same money. But I have to say, if you're in, if you have the disposable income that uh, 
these type of cars cater to in the first place. The, the Audi makes a really strong case for itself because it's got all that power. It's fun to drive. It feels track capable and it's enjoyable to drive on, uh, you know, your favorite two lane roads. And it's also just a brilliant uh, luxury cruiser for when you just need to eat away miles on the interstate. And it's also one of the better looking cars of this size out there. You know, Audi's styling is really clean and uh, sharp, in my opinion. So I would do an F-Type and a Honda Civic. Well, how about that? Look at the, they've look gone at you VA go. only for this year. Did you did you hear that? They they were they gone crazy. They tried to sell it with a four pot last year, and I think they realised that nobody was interested. So now it's VA only for the 2022 model year. So well, there you go. There you go. Uh, long live Britain and long live Ice Tea. So. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcast. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Oh, Chris, what a lovely afternoon and a lovely conversation. Thank you, Robin. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. It had a 190 mile. It had a 190 mile top speed. Pause for barking. We were doing so well. I know. <laughs>